there's something in the human soul that you know, two kinds of of sensitivities, two kinds of uh, responses. One is to a mother, and one is to a father. Those responses don't necessarily necessarily um, function under all circumstances. It is possible to be born to a woman and she's not your mother. That some, somehow that bonding or that connection or those strings or that cord that's supposed to respond just as in a mother there's a maternal instinct which may or may not function that maternal instinct that maternal pulse produces in the child an equal and opposite reaction what do you call that what is the feeling of the child to the mother filial So just as within the mother, the maternal instinct could be dull or inactive, it's also possible that you give birth to a child, but the child's filial response was never triggered. There was a woman here a number of years ago who was in very bad shape. Very bad shape. She was in her 30s, wasn't a kid. But still, we wanted to know what, uh, what the background is and what's going on, what's destroying this lady's life. So we called her mother. And I said, your daughter is here, and uh, she seems to be in a lot of trouble. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about it. I can, maybe I can help. She says, do yourself a favor. Throw her out. So I said, I understand that you've, you know, you've been struggling with this for 30 years already, and you've, I mean, you're wiped out, and you've had it, and so on. I understand that. But we just started. We still have a little energy. We still have a little enthusiasm. And we're willing to give it a try. She is no good. Throw her out, and please don't call me. And she hangs up. Not angry. Not upset. Just... He said, wait a minute. Where's the maternal instinct? You can't do anything more for your daughter. You've thrown your hands up. You don't know what to say anymore. But if somebody else is willing to try, why not? Why shouldn't you be happy that somebody's at least... Or, you're not happy. Tell me how much you hate her. Scream! Shout! Rant like a lunatic! Say, this woman is rotten! She's sick! She's a... No. Throw her out and don't call me. Where's the maternal instinct? I'm not talking love, but something. So just as it's possible for a woman to have a child and that child is not hers, you see what I'm saying? It didn't make her a mother. She had the child, but she never became a mother. It never triggered the mother in her. The same can be true in reverse. You can be someone's child, but you're nobody's child. Because that filial attachment never got triggered.
But a Christian father can be as fatherly to his, his child as a Jewish father. I mean, I what you're saying, of course, is true in certain circumstances, but it's not just because the father's a Christian. So how can it is? It is. There is some filial response that cannot happen between a Jewish child with a non-Jewish father. They're they're on different. They're on different frequencies. It can't happen legally halachically no matter how estranged a person has become from his father or mother um, when the parent dies the child has to has to sit shiva has to mourn with all the laws and with all the obligations and with all the customs and so on even though you haven't talked to your father in 80 years but if your father isn't jewish then you don't mourn there is no it's not your father. Even if he was a nice guy. Even if he was your best friend. You don't you don't say Shiva for a best friend. King David says in Tillam, In iniquity was I formed, and in sin did my mother uh, and from this Christianity created that whole Mishigas about original sin. What does it mean? First of all, King David's father was a tzaddik of his generation. So to say that, that he was conceived in sin is, is, is not, not possible. Secondly, even if it was possible, what a chutzpah on a child's part. And what is like like these books that are coming out today where all these famous famous people's children are writing these books and slandering them and 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 so where does it come for King David to write down for everybody to read that his parents were not nice? That's disgusting. If you if your mother did sin, what are you telling everybody? And to build a religion on that? <laughs> Somebody said something nasty and you build a religion on it? What does it mean? There's another statement somewhere in, uh, in Tillam where King David says, My mother and father abandoned me and God took me in. And here again the same question. <laughs> it never happened. His mother and father never abandoned him. What's he talking about? We know pretty much the story of King David and, and, and every stage of his life, and it never happened. His father and mother never abandoned him. Beginning to sound like he really needs a therapist. It's to say that all those things that block out our awareness of different aspects of our existence or different times and so on, by the tzaddik there is total recall. Nothing is blocked out. Therefore, most tzaddikim remember what they were thinking and feeling in the womb. Some tzaddikim remember what they said and what they felt and what they heard and what they did when they were told that they would be born. 
So for the tzaddik, the birth process is not an unconscious one. The soul is conscious of itself. And for the tzaddik, the soul is never blocked out. So the, so the tzaddik is conscious of his existence at every moment. He existed in heaven before he was told that he would be born. Then he was notified that he was going to be born. And he started making preparations the year in advance. And then he was conceived. And then he was born. And he knows and remembers and experienced consciously all of those stages. So King David says, My mother and father abandoned me. Only God took care of me. When was this? When he was being conceived. And as the commentary says, the mother turns her face in one direction and falls asleep. The father turns his face in the other direction and falls asleep. And this poor little thing is being conceived, going through the most traumatic moments of its life, and the parents are sleeping. So King David says, when I needed them most... They were sleeping. Only God took care of me because who knows what could have happened. I didn't know what I was doing. It's like today we know about the DNA and there's a DNA molecule that guides the other molecules and tells them where to go so that the nose ends up in the middle of the face. You know? But... Uh, But first of all, they didn't know about this DNA molecule in those days. And secondly, since when do you put your life, <laughs> since when do you entrust your life to a DNA molecule? And what if it makes a mistake? So, so David Amelach says, when my mother and father abandoned me, God took care of me. And he's describing basically the birth process. Ah, and that's what he refers to as the sin. That, yeah, that's the sin. The sin is that while a child is being conceived, parents are not even paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. That's why it's not, in, it's not an insult. King David was not insulting his parents by saying it. That's the human condition. He's not saying, my mother wasn't nice. She did something nasty when I was born. He wouldn't say such a thing. First of all, she didn't do any such thing. And secondly, even if she did, he wouldn't write it down for all people to see. What is this... Uh, What are those books called? Those, those slander. Anyway, as for every sin, there's no sin you can't do tshuva for. Because God wouldn't create an evil that can't be undone. There can't be a, an omnipotent evil. Only God is omnipotent. No, and what and what is that one? <laughs> no, there's not such thing. No, after all said and done, Pharaoh did do tshuva, and that's why he was the one person spared at the at the sea. He, he wasn't drowned. The reason that his heart was hardened because God wanted him to do tshuva out of tshuva, not out of reaction to the plagues. Meaning that if Pharaoh became good because he couldn't stand the plagues, 
Well, that's not really becoming good. That's just self-defense. So he, so he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he shouldn't be intimidated by the plagues. And then he was still going to either do tshuva or not. But, but the plague wasn't going to push him to do tshuva. The heart was hardened only in that he wasn't overwhelmed by the plague. That was the hardening of the heart. And therefore, when Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let the Jews go, that's, that's, where he, that's how he felt. God didn't do that. God hardened his heart that he shouldn't change his mind simply because of the plagues. So it's as if the plagues didn't happen. So he came to Pharaoh after the seventh plague. Do you want to let the Jews go? He says, no, I don't want to. And he really didn't want to. Not God made him say that. The question is, how can a man take so many plagues and still not buckle? For that, God hardened his heart. <clears throat> so, first let's answer the question. The Rebbe's question is, if every Jew, regardless of whether he's a tzaddik or a rasha, is a piece of God, then what does the Zohar mean that if you don't sanctify yourself, the parents don't sanctify themselves at the time of conception that the child will, will not have holiness. So the Rebbe's answer is, and we'll read it in the text in a minute, the Rebbe's answer is, the Zohar is not talking about the soul. Every soul, the greatest and the lowest, is born with a garment a soul doesn't come naked. It comes with a garment. And it's this garment that the soul uses in, in all of its activities. Whatever the soul is going to do through the body, it has to do through its garment. The holiness of the soul, the godliness of the soul, Every soul is a piece of God. And it doesn't, and it isn't affected at all by what the parents do or don't do. And that's why the greatest souls have been known to be born to parents who didn't know what the word sanctity means. What the Zohar is saying is that this garment the garment that the soul uses, the quality of that garment is determined by the behavior of the parents at the time of conception. So if the parents sanctify themselves at the time of conception, then this garment will be a delicate garment, which will allow the soul to do whatever it needs to do with ease and with Effortlessly. Whereas if the parents do not sanctify themselves at the time of conception, then this garment will be a stiff garment, coarse. And the soul will have to push, will have to struggle to accomplish what it wants to accomplish because its own garment will, will resist. But even where the garment is resisting, the soul itself is a piece of God. And the garment, if it isn't 
a delicate garment, if it isn't a, um, a comfortable garment, it can be fixed. It's only a garment. It's not the soul itself. And so if it needs to be improved, if it needs to be fixed, it can be. There are ways of... of um, refining the garment. There's one of my favorite stories um, relevant to the parents' input at the time of conception and so on. What does it mean, sanctify yourself at a time of conception? What kind of sanctity is appropriate? But at the time itself, at the time of conception itself, in the act of conception, sanctity would mean, on a very basic level, I'm talking about the holy, mystical things, but on a very basic level, sanctity would mean that you are conscious of the fact that this is the act that produces a child. Because having a child is a godly thing to do. If you are conscious that this is having a child, then, then you're conscious of the godliness of the act. So you don't have to be uh, thinking words of uh, Mishnah in order to be godly. This is godly. This is sanctity. There was a Rebbe in, in, uh, in the city of Kotsk, the Kotsk Rebbe. It was a very, what can you say about a Rebbe? He was, um, he was exceptional even among Rebbes. And one time, he was in a very relaxed mood, casual mood, and he was talking to his chassidim, and he mentioned one chassid and described him so intimately he, that the other chassidim were amazed at how, how thoroughly the Rebbe knew this chassid. And they saw that this was an opportunity to kind of uh, take advantage of. So, so they said, what about uh, Chaim David? So they never described Chaim David, again, with incredible um, insight. So they said, and what about uh, Yitzhak Meir? And they went from one to the other, and each one of them, the Rebbe described, you know, through and through. Somewhere along the way, one chassid said, and your son, I forget what his son's name was. He said, and your son? So the Kotzker said, you're asking me if I know my son? I know with what thoughts I brought him into this world. Which means that 
the relationship between the father and the son didn't begin when he took him out to the first ball game. Or when he bought him his first baseball cap. The relationship between the father and the son began at conception. So, this was his son and this son had a father longer than the average person. Because for the average person, you don't have a son until he's born and you don't have a father until you're born. And hopefully then. <laughs> hopefully then. But here, the relationship, the father-son relationship began at conception. So they had each other nine months longer than most people, than most fathers and sons have each other. That's a healthy relationship, to put it mildly. But again, in spite of all of this, the, the part that parents can affect is only the garment of the soul, but not the soul itself.